Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and we're going to continue Guy Talk. So let me know whatever questions you have. We'll do our best to answer, even if it fires up the panel. We're okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're okay with. Wyatt, how did you think that last hour went? I'm just kind of curious. You're the neutral this is guy. the most alive I've seen it in here in a long time. I know. <laughs> Welcome back, Greg. <laughs> it's Greg's fault. It's I my can, fault. I'll say that. <laughs> It was a, quite an animated hour. Do we, oh, we all like each other? Mm-hmm. Oh, we, we love, love each, other. each other. Oh, good, good, good. That's all I can I want to be like Jeff when I grow up. <laughs> yeah, a, lot of, a lot of us do, Greg. <laughs> Trust me. <clears throat> so let me know, 877-933-2484. We've got a professor, a pastor, and a Sunday school teacher. <laughs> Dr. B, Tom P, Jeff V. So that's the team. Let me know, 877-933-2484. You got any easy ones? <laughs> I do. I do. I do have some easy ones. Is my decision for Christ an idol? Is my no. decision for Christ? No. How do you use it? Well, we were talking about idols earlier last yeah. hour, and we have all these idols, and and apparently the decision to become a, a, a believer in Jesus Christ is so powerful in her life or his life, whatever, that there is, it's maybe elevated to a status. Concerned, is it become oh, an I- idol? Yeah, I, I hear people talk that way a okay. lot about my decision for Jesus. I never ask people to make a decision for Jesus. I ask people to surrender. Yeah. Because none of us, when we have our hands up in the air and down on our knees and getting handcuffed by the police, look at that as anything big thing we've done. And it's the same with Jesus. He's the one who saves us. It's by his grace, and we're surrendering. And yes, we can point to a time and a date. We can call it a decision. I have no problem with that. But... It has nothing to do with what I've done. It has everything to do with what Jesus has done. Yeah, and it goes to to another uh, area as well. Nowhere in the New Testament does it say to accept Jesus as Savior and Lord. It says to receive, receive him. him. Because in the act of accepting, who's in the seat of arbitration? You're on the throne. You're making a decision whether or not the evidence is significant enough in order for you to capitulate and finally accept and say, okay, I'm going to accept. But what we have to realize, who's accepting whom? Yeah, It's Jesus accepting us when we receive this gift that we're given. Good point. You know, um, Luke says, worship God alone and serve him only. We are to love him with all of our heart and soul and strength and mind. Uh, we are, you know, the first command, the greatest command um, is to love him. And to abide in him, to trust in him with all of your heart. So this, it, when, when you are putting your affection on the one true God, that is, that is not idol worship. Idol worship, by definition, is when you worship something other than the one true God. So putting your faith in Jesus Christ is not idol worship at all. Yeah, let me make a disclaimer before somebody has a heart attack. When, when they, if you've accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord, that doesn't mean you're not saved. God knows your heart. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is the idea of acceptance 
versus receiving. Mm-hmm. So people who have said, I've accepted Jesus, that's between you and the Lord. Who are we to argue with that? Then then you're saved. So I, I want to just make that <laughs> Thank disclaimer. You. Thank you, Greg. All right, here's a question. I've been married for 35 years to an alcoholic and have an adult son who struggles also. Is there any guidance or encouragement in the Bible for me and other codependent people? Thanks. That's a tough one because alcoholism and drug addiction are a big issue for an awful lot of families. Yes, it is. And our culture, and I just had a woman come to me and talk to me about this not long ago. The culture and all of her girlfriends, as well as, as if it was men, say, get out, get away from that situation. You don't have to live that way. And I understand the, the burden of that. It's a horrible burden to carry. This is where we've got to bring the whole church into this thing. This is where we fail. We let Christians struggle alone. Um, you've worked, I know a lot of us have worked with alcoholism and other things, and oftentimes it's that group setting. And when Christians, other Christian men are holding those men accountable, that's the way I've seen most men get free by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's also, and I would encourage this woman uh, to go out and seek other women that will pray with her, that she has the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ to be his presence in front of her husband and to have the endurance to carry on because I don't want to see all these years of marriage thrown away. I would like to see that continue for them, but you've got a battle, but there are people that really want to help and those prayer people and those support people are very important. You know, I, I don't believe that you can, as an individual and you have a mate or a husband or a wife, that's an alcoholic that you're going to be able to sustain your yourself over the long haul, but alone, just like you're saying, Tom. Yeah. You need to bring around you other people to help you, support you, not to point the finger at your husband or your wife, but to support you, to lift you up, to pray for you, to give you uh, the capacity to endure the, 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 the difficulty of having to, to live through this kind of a, a, a situation. Let me just add one thing, because I, I don't know if it was specifically in the question, but it's kind of this idea that you hear a lot in Christianity about generational sins and whether or not we God punishes future generations for the sins of the Father. I don't think that's the picture in Scripture. I mean, Ezekiel 18 says that the Son shall not suffer iniquity of the Father, nor the Father suffer the yeah. iniquity of the Son. When Jesus saw the blind man, his disciples asked him, was it his father's sin or his sin that caused this blindness? And Jesus says, no, it's neither. I think the passages that seem to hint at some kind of uh, a generational sin is the idea that you know what children of alcoholics tend to struggle with the same issues that their parents struggled with often and you see it adult children of alcoholics and so these ideas are taught they're learned from their parents that's how they grew up and and uh, tom as you were saying that cycle needs to be broken, and I can think of no other person who loves to break these cycles more than the person of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. All right, gentlemen, thank you very much. Is a marriage covenant in the eyes of God only valid if the wedding is done in a church or by a pastor in a spiritual way? Um, I'll start. <laughs> no. Um, you... I have, I'm not a pastor. I have actually uh, conducted a, a marriage, so I sure hope that 
that's not true because I had to actually I had to be, get a minister license off the internet so so I could marry this this person. But no, the covenant before God is a is a coming together. A man should leave his father and his mother and be married to his wife, and the two will become one flesh in the eyes of God. I I am disheartened. Well, I don't think it's a requirement. I am a little bit disheartened by believers all over our country who are rejecting getting married in a church to get married outside of the church. It's trendy to get married in barns and, you know, whatever. And I say that all three of my children, are are two of the three of my children were married outside of the church. Uh, But uh, no, it doesn't matter. What matters is not where the ceremony is or even, I would argue, who conduct it. Those are requirements put in place by the state, not by God. Uh, the, the, the main point of a marriage is that you've been, what God has brought together, let no man tear asunder. Well, one of the problems is the moment you enter into a sexual relationship with another person, the Bible says you have become one flesh. In that process, a lot of emotional things happen as well as spiritual things. Doesn't mean the Lord's involved in it. If you're not honoring the Lord, he's not going to honor what you're doing. Marriage is the way to honor the Lord, and you do it under his covenant. Now, a lot of people get married without the Lord. Okay, that's fine. But they've got their own issues to deal with there. Christians have the advantage of being able to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in their marriage and to make that work. But once that happens, and I, in, in terms of counseling, I cannot tell you the number of people that have told me all the sexual partners they've had in life, and they still feel bound to those people in one way or another. Matter of fact, one guy told me, he says, I dream about these other women all the time. You know, and and I we talked about how to repent, how to give that over to the Lord, how to get free of that. But that's why I talk to young people, and I say, you know, don't let this young man or young woman identify you, because they will identify you physically. In most cases, let the Lord Jesus identify you and then reserve your relationship under his care when the right person comes along and it's time to get married. It's not the venue that's important. It's the veneration. Yep. In other yep. words, you're asking God to bless your union. You're bringing God into your home. You're asking God to uh, be a part of, of, of your home. And so asking God to bless it is more important than, in my view, um, determining what's the proper venue. If the venue is all that's important, like a destination wedding, for instance, and and that becomes the the most important thing, and and not that you're asking God to bless your union, then that's a problem. But I think it's not the venue; it's the veneration. See, you get to you should be a pastor. I had a woman coming to me honestly. Her dad was a, a leader in the church. Her mom was a leader in the church, and she had grown up in the church. But she said to me about a week before the wedding, Pastor, do you think it's okay if my dad walks me down the aisle? And I was about to say yes, along with my dog. Uh, and, and I said, what? She said, I want my dad to walk on one side and my dog to walk on the other. I said, down the church aisle? I said, why don't you go home and ask Jesus? She called me the next day and she goes, that was kind of stupid, wasn't it? And I said, it's not up to me. That's up to you and Jesus. But no dog came down the aisle. While we're talking about marriage. <laughs> Today happens to be my 32nd wedding anniversary to my lovely wife, Congratulations. Julie. We've been happily yeah. married. We were married in a church, by, <clears throat> by the way, uh, by a pastor. 
And uh, no, we love each other just as much today as the day we got married. And last Saturday was my wife and I's 51st wedding anniversary. Oh, congratulations. He's got to one up you, Jeff, doesn't he? <laughs> of course I got to one up you. I know. I Jeff, when, around. when you got your. 51. Jeff, when you got your minister's <laughs> license online, did it require training or just exact change? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was twenty nine ninety nine. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. All right. A couple more uh, things on on the law. The law reveals our sin. Try to read through the Ten Commandments without seeing yourself. Our law shows us our need for a Savior. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what that's Paul says in Galatians. Preach the it. law leads to Christ. So, yes. Totally uh, here's a comment. That. Please square the circle. The Bible says the law is holy, just, and good, and also the law is weak and beggarly. Well, I think the latter, I don't remember that verse in particular, but it's because the law makes nothing righteous, right? I mean, we were talking about Mm -hmm. this, even in our discussion, we all agree that the law makes nothing righteous. The law never saved anybody, Uh, but it's good in the sense that it is from God and the law is good if one uses it properly, by the way, Paul says, and that is what, what we just described, to lead someone to Christ, to point out their sin and their need for forgiveness and a savior. And who in the New Testament fulfilled the law? Christ. Jesus did. So therefore, you and I are grafted in. You talked about a court of law earlier. Mm-hmm. We are as guilty as sin. And the judge knows it and the jury knows it and everybody knows it. But Jesus steps in for us. And so long and it's no longer the law that judges us, but we're now judged because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing we really hang on to in the end is his shed blood. All right, here's a question. What percentage of people who, after praying to receive Jesus and be forgiven, but then don't go to church to grow? Many will fall away in time, but what's the consensus that some percentage of them keep believing and are really saved? I've heard from 6 to 25% stay in saving faith, yet not going to church. I think Greg made a good point many months ago on the program, and I thank you, Greg. He said, only the Lord knows the heart when you confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. Mm-hmm. You know, because deep inside, only the Lord knows that. We see it on the outside. So if I have an altar call, and occasionally I do, and I have 10 people come forward, and they all pray to receive Jesus and say yes, only the Lord knows who's really sincere there and what's really going on. It appears like it's all happened to all of them, and I want to assure all of them they have salvation by faith in Jesus. But this failure to be interested in Jesus or to walk with him afterward, I'm not fully sure what's going on there. But the Lord knows, and that yeah. person has to be re-evangelized as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it, and the principle is this. There must be fruit befitting repentance. Yeah. Now, whether or not it lays dormant, there's a gestation period in some people's lives before all of a sudden they, they uh, give evidence uh, by the way in which they live that they're followers of Jesus Christ. I remind you what I think in that same conversation, Tom, what my wife is fond of saying, she says, you you can't uh, backslide until you first front slid. (laughs) And so the the whole idea is is that um, if somebody receives Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you're under new management. And so consequently, there needs to, as Scripture says, fruit befitting repentance. And it may not be as obvious initially because God is doing an internal work. God is the one who brings about the transformational change in the soul of a human being. And he's not bound by our calendars. Right. And so we, the, the point that I think that you're making is that we have no right to judge whether or not that person is saved. We may have some suspicions 
And because there's no fruit befitting repentance over the, the course of time, we may end up having to muster up the courage to sit down and talk with the individual sure. and ask them that question as a brother in Christ. Um, and so we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't just forget about doing something like that if necessary. But God's timing is not our timing. Yeah, it's. It, let me rephrase the percentage question here, because if it's true that once you're saved, once you're born again, you are saved for all of eternity, you know, Jesus says that I come to have them give them a life, and once you believe, you have eternal life. Uh, those who believe, John 3.16, have eternal life. First John 5, uh, I write these things that you can know that you have eternal life. On and on and on, we have this assurance of, of salvation. So what percentage of people who are truly born again, regardless of whether they go to church or not, are still saved? I would argue 100%. Yeah, yeah. Tru- 100% that are truly born again. The, correct. Sure. That are truly born again. Now, here's the problem. We cannot see the man's heart. So I can tell you the doctrine of assurance of salvation, mm-hmm. but because I can't see anybody's heart, it's really, really hard. I mean, Greg, you were just describing some of the things that we might want to do with a person who we're not sure about yet, but we just can't know about any individual because we cannot see their heart. Well, part of it is this. Do we have time, Bill, or we have to go to a break? Mm, how long is your comment? 30, 30 <laughs> seconds, Bill. All right, I'll give you 30. <laughs> I think that what happens is those of us that are very evangelical and like to call people forward and have them make a commitment, we make that an event of salvation, and it is, and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But the Greek word for believe is now an ongoing. It's Trust not a one-time event. Time. And so the issue is Anybody that has has done that should be able to say now, yes, Jesus, Lord and Savior, I failed and I've sinned and I've got to repent. People that don't see any need for that, I question whether it happened in the first place. All right, nominate your community for a special faith radio event featuring Carmen LaBerge. Carmen is passionate, as you know, about tilling the soil of cultural conversations of the day and helping Christians with tools to share Christ. You can find out more about that at myfaithradio.com. Dot com. After a short break, we'll be back with lots more Guide Talk. Your questions are so welcome. 877-933-2484. Hi there and welcome. If you are a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome packet gift. Request yours today at MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome to Guide Talker, guys who talk. Jeff V, Tom P, Dr. B, that's the team. We're all sitting around the studio, and we are commenting on all kinds of things today, and we always come to the conclusion that at the end of the show, we really have fun and we all love each other. And I, I think there's something wonderful about respectful conversation about ideas and issues in life that you can have with your neighbors and friends that you can maintain that level of civility. Yeah, well the the whole idea about conversation today, probably 90% of the conversation you have with others is what I'd call level one conversation. What about those Vikings? What about well, they the won on Monday wild? night? Great game! Yeah, it was a great game. Yeah, we're talking about goals in the third period. Yeah, we're talking about grace. Let's move on to level two then. I guess. Level two is I know a person who is struggling with this when we probably mean ourselves, and level three is I'm dealing with this. What I love about this show and what I love about you guys 
is being able to have level three conversations and and to be able to disagree and, and, and agree with one another, and as Bill pointed out, to have an unconditional regard for the well-being and welfare of each of us. So the whole idea of having these level three conversations, how often do you get to have these kinds of conversations? Not very often. So that's why I'm so grateful for this show. Me too. That we're digging into some of these issues that you just don't walk into Dunn's Coffee Shop and gra- gra- grab the first person you see and ha- and ask these kinds of questions. It takes a long time to build that up. But that's what's wonderful about this show. I've got to quit doing that when I go to the coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really nice when you can have conversations that are pretty much who are you and what makes you tick. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And if you get to that point with people, they will open up because they they're very interested in answering that question. Yeah. Once uh, they pass the suspicion of why you're, you're asking. Oh, of course. That. But yeah. if you've developed any level of trust yeah. and, and uh, you can build a small bridge to them, they will want to talk about themselves. Mm-hmm. And you can continue to tease more questions and get them talking. Um, I always remember uh, when I had Dr. Jerry Root on, he's the uh, director of evangelism at the Billy Graham Center for Evangelism. So he's the top guy. And he says, it's really hard for me to share my faith. I get nervous doing it. Hmm. This is the top guy for evangelism. And he said, but if I just ask simple questions, I'm I'm, I'm at the airport at baggage waiting for my bag. And I said to the guy next to me, are you you home? Is this this home? He He goes, it is. I didn't always live here. I grew up in Ohio and my parents got divorced and I came here when I was 13. And then he followed up with, so what was that like? And within minutes, this guy was pouring out his heart. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Just simple questions. You'd be and, surprised how much people want to talk. Uh, you know, one, that, that, that's interesting. When I was in Ireland... Um, oh, uh, here we go with the bread. <laughs> <laughs> I was at a well, place... How long were we there? Three uh, days? No, eight weeks. <laughs> oh, how dumb of me to ask. Yeah, wow. yeah. Uh, anyway, I... I was at um, in, in a steam room actually at, at the lodge on, on Ashford Estate, <laughs> and there was another guy in the steam room, and and um, and we just started up a conversation. And all I did was simply ask some questions because he had talked about turning his life around. He has just gotten married for the second time. He's had to refocus his life, and I said, "Are you a follower of Christ?" And so that opened up a whole discussion. And all I did was ask questions and allow him mm-hmm. to fill in the answers. And so we ended up exchanging business cards and look forward to contacting him again. But it just, as you're saying, Bill, it's just a matter of a, or it, all of us just having, a, having the courage to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. I used to feel bad that you missed pizza, but I don't anymore. <laughs> right. you know, done by Ireland, us. steam room. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of done. In, <laughs> in know, January, I'm going to be teaching a class. I've taught it before. It's entitled Getting Others to Ask You to Tell Them About Jesus. And it is simply using the questioning technique yeah. that Bill talked about. I love yeah. that. You know, Paul prayed or asked for boldness that he might proclaim the gospel boldly as he should. So if even Paul asked for boldness, yeah. then then it is. It is something that's hard. One little trick just to get um, uh, kind of introduced spiritual ideas that I have found in restaurants, when your waiter is serving on you, after you get to know her, ask her some questions or him, and then before the food comes, right before the food comes, just say this, you know, we are going to pray for our food. 
and thank the Lord. Is there anything that we can pray for you about? Nice. And oh, I've that's had great. people nice. say, that's you really can good. pray for my pet, you know, but I've also had people just like well up and almost start yeah. crying right in front of me because of the brokenness that's in their, mm. their lives. And it, it can open a door. Yeah. All right. Here's a question. Is the strong bond I feel toward fellow believers, the Holy Spirit? There's one thing that binds us together. It's not, you know, a whole bunch of Holy Spirits. It's one spirit that indwells us all. So there's a commonality. There's a a common ground. And so we're automatically connected because we're part of the family of God. And the evidence of that is the existence of the Spirit of God in our life. So it it, it is the Holy Spirit that, that gives us a sense uh, of other individuals that come into our life that might be followers as well. That's why the New Testament talks about fellow believers as brothers and sisters. And you think about your family where you grew up. If you grew up in a, in a good family with good siblings and parents, I know not everybody does, but if you did, there's a bond. And my brother died 18 years ago, and he was 10 years older than me. I still terribly miss him. We were so bonded. Uh, I was When I was 10, he was 20. I went everywhere with him. I miss him terribly. I feel that same way about the body of Christ. We, we read this verse a, a little while ago. I'll read the whole thing this time from Ephesians 4. There's one body and one spirit, just as you are called to mm-hmm. one hope when you are called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You know, we are one body, yeah. as Paul describes, and he, by the way, is the head. Mm-hmm. Next question, gentlemen. I'm curious. Which culture in the Bible would you all say most resembles the one we are currently in now? Pre-Noah. <laughs> <laughs> Build the ark in your backyard. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. It just says, it, Matthew, when Jesus says of Jesus, I'm sorry, of, when Matthew, no, when Jesus says of his return, sorry, he says, just as in the days of Noah, people were eating and drinking and giving in marriage right up until the day that Noah entered the ark and then destruction came upon them. And he says, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. And so the end times fits that picture uh, very well. Um, many authors have compared the United States of America today to Babylon and that, uh, you know, just as Daniel struggled to live a righteous life, just as Rakshak and Benny, Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego <laughs> were forced to bow down to the, the idols that Nebuchadnezzar was set, setting up and so on. And just the, the worldliness uh, of the world, they've compared the United States to Babylon. I think some of that fits as well. But look, there's nothing new under the sun. The world has always been the world. The world has always been opposed to God. And we, as believers, are called out of this world to be set apart, to be light in this dark world. But do, but do you think, Jeff, I ask this most to you as well, Tom, do you think that evil is increasing or that Satan is upping his game? Is there a perception or a sense that something's changing? It is. You know, Greg, you and I grew up in the 50s, and, and we were you know young kids then. It was a different world then. You know, everybody on the block was your dad. You know, families were fairly healthy. Uh, School was good. We even prayed in school. All of those things. That's pretty much gone. I think what we've done is we've we've opened the door to Satan in so many areas of our lives. And the pain that people are feeling today, uh, most people, 
even school board meetings now are getting really contentious. And I think we have to face the fact that the evil has been unleashed and the Christian the Christian has one of two choices. Either we sit back and hope the second coming occurs tomorrow we get out of this mess, or we say, I will be the ambassador for Jesus Christ until he comes. That means I'm going to stick my nose out there properly and respectfully, but with the power of Jesus and speak up at school board meetings, in government, on the air, wherever I may be. Amen. Yeah. I mean, what is it for evil to prosper, but for the righteous to do nothing is an old quote. And we are. We are those set-apart ones. Uh, look, as an end times teacher, it's it's really hard not to, in this country especially, see uh, just the way our uh, evil seems to be prospering in our nation like it never has before in our nation's history. Uh, but I know this promise, and and that promise is this, that the gates of Hades will not prevail against God's church. Never has, it never will, and this day is coming. Look, I don't know if we're where if the rapture is next week or a year from now or 10 years from now or 100 years from now. Uh, it just seems to me uh, that uh, the Lord said, I know he's coming. He's going to come as a thief in the night. There's sure a lot of Christians who have a sense like, oh, this is, we got to be approaching the end. So I agree with you. At the same time, I think God has wanted every generation since he went up to heaven to feel like they could be the last yeah. generation, and live like that. And, and here's an encouragement. Sure. Whatever light you have is all the brighter against a darker background. That's right. It doesn't matter how dark the world has gotten. Gospel is light. Whatever light you have, whether you're a brand new Christian or you're a mature Christian, whatever light you have is all the brighter against a darker background. Amen. Show that light and don't hide it underneath a barrel. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll be right back with lots more Guy Talk. Let me know what questions you have. 877-933-2484. I've got Jeff Verdorn, who's celebrating his 32nd wedding anniversary today. Congratulations, Jeff and Julie. Thank you, Bill. Tom Parrish, who celebrated recently 51 and I don't know why I'm talking about anniversaries right now. <laughs> Let's just go to break. I'll come back with more. <laughs> it's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. It is the afternoon show, and it is time for Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. If you just joined us, we've been having a lively conversation. I want to ask my the distinguished producer of the afternoon show, Wyatt, how he feels our two is going. I think they need to pick it up a little bit. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm also trying to figure out how I'm going to get a puppy for somebody here by the end well, of the night. Yeah, so. but we need that 71st caller. We're That's a true. Long ways we're we're a long ways yeah. away. So, and, and that deal is ends and is void <laughs> in, no. in 26 minutes. So I think I think we're all safe, Wyatt. I'm not going to worry about that. All right, I've got Jeff, Tom, and Greg, and we're I've got some great questions here. This one might be uh, a favorite of mine because we've had it before, but I want to touch on it again. How do you know if you've been born again? Can you proclaim publicly Jesus is Lord and Savior? If you can do that, I mean, and you can do it from the heart, then you have been born again. Because you can't really say that with any conviction if you're not. 
And I know that's incredibly simple sounding, but it doesn't need to be a, a lot more than that. And I think that's the thing that I think is so important, that public proclamation that Jesus is Lord and Savior. I think one of the other ways in which you know you're saved is that you're convicted of sin you didn't, mm-hmm. you weren't convicted of before. In other words, the same opportunity comes up that you had before you came to Christ, and all of a sudden, it's it's an anathema to you. You just feel uncomfortable about it. You don't don't feel right about it. That's the Spirit of God living in you, testifying to the fact that you're a follower of Christ now, and you live your life differently. So that's one of the indications that you know that you're saved. And what are you drawn to? In other words, the Word of God that you're now being exposed to, even though there's a gradual period of spiritual maturation, Things that you had read before that made absolutely no sense, all of a sudden are making sense to you now. And God is speaking to you through his word. And you're attracted to the things that are of God and not of the world as you once were. Those are all indications, I would think. Agreed. Absolutely. You know, one of the opposites of, of living by faith is living by doubt. And as many Christians have doubts about, oh, am I truly saved or am I not truly saved? You know, some of that to a certain degree is very normal, right? You question whether or not what you believe is true and you have doubts. What I have found over the decades is that I'm the more I study God's Word, the more I see His nature, His character, and His promises, uh, the, the my doubt decreases and my faith increases. So Romans says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And I, the only way I know to, know to do that is by studying God's word and those doubts will melt away and your faith will grow. I think another indication also is you're asking questions you never asked before. And you're focusing on those questions on things you would have never even considered before. All of a sudden they're of interest to you now and you want to know. Well, you become more kingdom-minded than you are just worldly-minded. Yeah. What about Romans 8.16? The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know have, because we know because we know. You have God's Spirit within you. That is what being born again is all about. You're, you have moved from death to life. The Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And now, as you just described, the Spirit inside of you testifies with your spirit that you can know that you're a children of God. First John 5 says, I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. So you can know that you know that you know. Yeah. Now, Jeff, uh, I don't know if your parents are listening, if your mom is listening right now. It'd be lovely if she <laughs> yeah, was. I don't know. But you know that your mom loves you, don't you? I do. I know that. You know because you know because you know. I do. And I could say to you, I think you're nuts, Jeff. I don't think your mom loves you. And you would say, mm, wrong. I know that I know that I know. Yeah. 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 And and That's you know what? Point. I know it more today than I did maybe a long time ago of in course. junior high or whatever. Because of that understanding, I've come to know her more right. through our relationship. And as you come to know Christ more, those doubts, like I mentioned, would will melt away. Yeah. So big hi to Sid and Carol. Thank you. Hi, Mom and Dad. Yeah, there you are. All right. Is a person who has deconstructed from their faith still saved? This person raised in a Christian home and made a profession of faith as a young person. Well, this goes back to our previous question, uh, the 100% question, that the doctrine of assurance, and we it's actually come up a few times, and I, I tell mm-hmm. you, in my classes, I think this idea of whether or not we have true assurance of salvation or not is one of the most common questions that I get in my, in my classrooms. Um, and so theologically, we can answer this, I think, very plainly, that if a person is born again, they're born again for all of eternity. 
Now, what about this individual? Well, like we talked about last hour, we can't see the person's yeah. heart. So there, there, there's two theological possibilities. They either truly saved, and they're still saved today, and just happen, having what I would call a temper tantrum against God, right? Mm-hmm. And and we don't know if that, that how long that ta- temper tantrum will last. Or the other theological possibility is they were never saved, and now their true nature and character is showing through. Mm-hmm. All right, how is it possible that so many different religions and faiths are in the world when we all came from Adam and Eve, how could there be people that believe in other gods? Well, that's our nature. Our nature is to create gods that we worship that reflect us. Mm. That's all throughout all humanity. The salvation of Jesus is completely opposite because he comes looking for us when we're not looking for him. Gives us that born-again experience, the renewal of the Holy Spirit to wake up to a matter of faith And that's a faith, then, that most people on the outside don't want because they still want to be in control. And we're now—the Lord is now in control. I'm I'm wondering if the question has to do is why is there more religions or why are there more denominations? Because the answer would be slightly different. With regard to more religions, when I teach classes on on cults or or world religions— I put a, uh, like on a sheet of paper, but in this case on a whiteboard, two sides with a line down the middle. And I say, identify those religions that are built on works and then those religions that are built on grace. Sure. The only one that's built on mm-hmm. grace is Christianity. All the rest are on works. So the reason that there are so many is that, just going back to your question, really, or your comment, Tom, is that man is adamant about wanting to build a road to salvation right. by their own efforts. And so every other religion that's built on works is man's attempt to reach that pinnacle instead of accepting the grace and the gift of God. You know, I think we also have to recognize that there is a spiritual aspect to this, a spiritual battle. We have an enemy. He is the father of lies. He lies. That's his native tongue. That's what he does. And yeah. Satan, no matter where you're at, he has a lie for you. If you are not religious at all, well, he has secular humanism, and you can believe that you, you know, evolved and you trust in science. If you're kind of religious or spiritual, he has lies about the new age and new spirituality that's out in the world. If you believe that there are deities, he has a religion for you. Some of them have many gods. If you're monotheistic, he he has even religions that offer up one god in their religious systems. But as you said, they're all the same. They are all the same. They're all about what man has to do in order to reach God or nirvana or paradise or whatever. Only biblical Christianity is what God has done to reach man, and that is to die on a cross for our sins. There's only one religion in the world that has a risen Savior, and that's Christianity. Mm -hmm. None of the rest of them do. Mm -hmm. He's the only guy that has on his resume, rose from the dead. I like it. (laughs) That's an impressive resume. That is. So you know. Good to get. All right. We'll be right back with more Guy Talk. If you've got a question, there's still time to get your question in. 877-933-2484. Be right back.
Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. We're back with Guy Talk, or guys who talk. Let me know what you have for a question. Even if we don't get to it today, we'll get to it next time we meet. We do this on Thursdays, which is such a day I look forward to because I love to gather around the studio with my friends and talk about the most important thing in life, and that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Gentlemen, here's a question. I believe in Exodus chapter 20, verse 20, it says that God will test you. But in James chapter 1, it says that God will not tempt you. Is that because it's between the Old Testament and New Testament? Or are those completely different meanings of those words? I think they're completely different meanings. It says in Scripture very clearly that God will tempt no one. We are tempted by our own desires. Um, We're we're susceptible to three sources of temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so Jesus, or God says, he tempts no one. Testing us means simply that, not that God needs to find out whether or not you're going to make it, that we need to be trained by the crisis that gives rise to the test. We need to know how we, uh, or what we need to do to rise to that occasion. So, Testing is different than temptation. It is a different word, and when I coached a lot of sports, the bottom line was I tested the guys all the time. I was constantly testing them to help them see they could go beyond what they thought they could do and be stronger, but I never tempted them to do anything that was illegal, anything that would harm them or harm anybody else. There is a big distinction between the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can we? let's read that James one passage that you referred to here. It says this in James one thirteen: When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So I think it's clear. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away from their own, by their own evil desires mm-hmm. and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when full grown gives leads to death. So the idea is, is that temptation comes from the world, from the exterior, from the outside, and it pricks our desire in our soul. And then we have to decide, are we going to act on that temptation mm-hmm. or not? Are we going to take every thought captive or are we going to act on that temptation? Right. But it does not come from God. My next question, gentlemen, I'm looking at you, Dr. B. I'll let you lead the way. What steps do you take after you sin? Okay, the first thing that you have to acknowledge is that you deviated from God's standard. You have to to acknowledge that before God. You have to own up to your responsibility. Once you own up to that responsibility, as a follower of Christ, after you sin, you thank God for already paying the price well over 2,000 years ago, but you recognize that your relationship with the Father has been broken, and it needs to be mended. And so then you confess by acknowledging that sin, receiving the salvation or the forgiveness that's already there, and and then asking God to give you the strength to live a life that's godly instead of one that is ungodly. Nicely done. Any you want to add to that? I like that. I think you, one of the keys that you said there was that we already that salvation that we already have, yep. right in Christ. So your sins have been forgiven. Uh, but that, uh, but as we talked about earlier, but Romans six says, shall, "So shall we go on sinning?" Well, no, of course not. And that, at the root of tem- at the root of of repenting, 
is this concept of taking on the mind of Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's not simply saying, I'm sorry, and I hope I don't do it again. But it is saying, I now want your mind to look at that the way you look at it. When you receive Christ as Savior and Lord, you are establishing a relationship with the Heavenly Father. Once you become a, a, a follower of Christ, your sin and the confession of your sin is restoring your fellowship with him. It's not yes. reestablishing yes. the relationship. That's been established at the cross when you received him to begin with. Now you're restoring it by confessing and appropriating the forgiveness that's already yours. So a question for you, is First John 1, 9 for salvation, or is that for a believer as well? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. Uh, remember what the, the term confession is, what it, what it really means. For a non-Christian, a confession is first acknowledging initially that what Christ has done, that, that we are sinners, that we need a Savior, that we believe that Christ rose from the dead, and that uh, he paid for our sins. So I think First John, you're, you're talking about First John chapter 2. 1-9. Um, is primarily for unbelievers. Yeah, yeah I agree. As a follow-up, let me ask you guys about 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Yeah, well, without excuse, I think that's, that's the power of that passage is that nothing is going to come to you that you do not have the capacity to resist or to to deal with because of Christ who lives in you. That's the promise we have from God. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God's faithful and just and will forgive your sins and, and provide a way for you to escape it um, or endure it. But part of the escaping is maybe to endure it. Yeah, I, I think it's a wonderful promise of God that when that temptation comes, that door is there. And, you know, we were talking about Satan and some of his... Uh, um, techniques and, mm-hmm. and what the world has to offer. Satan's only got about three, four, five temptations. That's about it. It's common to man. He knows mankind very well, right? And he mm-hmm. just keeps using the same temptations over and over and over again. But as a believer in Christ, God promises that when that temptation comes, hey, look over here. There's a way out. It's interesting because early in my ministry, I think I was 30 years old, uh, I had been counseling a woman, an attractive young woman, and I didn't have a secretary yet. I mean, it was not a good setting to begin with. You didn't take the Billy Graham oath. Well, I did later on. Oh, okay. I did later on, and I enforced it too. But <laughs> she literally threw her arms around me, told me she'd love me, she'd leave her husband if I'd leave my wife, oh, and that Lord. type of thing. Hmm. And and she was a very attractive lady. From a human point of view, it was pretty flattering. You know what the first thing that came into my mind? Not my wife, not my kids. But I heard Jesus say, do you really want to give up telling people about me? Because hmm. that's what I've called you to. And so in that sense, that I could back her up and I could say no. And I could say, we can't go there. That's not what this is about. For me, in my case, that was the way the Lord stepped in. And I think in all of us, the Lord wants to step in and give us a way out. We just had to try to tune into the Lord and listen to what he's saying and not get caught up in the moment. Well, it's part of what Jeff was saying is understanding the strategies of the enemy. When you are young... Your most susceptible area of sin are physical pleasures. When you are maturing and you're building your career, your most susceptible area for temptation is materialism and possessions. When you've got those, the and you're older now, in your older years, um, you're most susceptible to position and status. So pride becomes an issue. 
And the Satan knows that. And those were the three areas that Satan tempted Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, mm-hmm. and which we've already talked about was found in, in I think it is 1 John chapter 2. And lust of the flesh, the, the, the lust of the eyes, and the pride, pride of, of life. life. Yep. I bet we've all had conversations with somebody who got into some level of serious trouble, and you've said, was there an out that you, that you skipped? You know, was there an exit ramp early on you didn't take? And 100% of the time, the answer is yes. Of yeah. course. Yeah. So God has provided an, an early exit ramp you just didn't take. I, I remember this great cartoon, Kathy, this doting secretary, who says that um, she, had, she was tempted by candy. She loved candy. She says, I'm going to drive down the street where the store is that has my candy, but I'm not going to go in. I'm going to go in, but I'm not going to go down the aisle that has the candy. I'm going to go down the aisle, but I'm not going to pick up the bag. And the last frame was munch, 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 munch. When should she have stopped? Getting in the car. Yeah, of course. <laughs> right. Of course. So good. Okay, gentlemen, lively, uh, lively discussion today. Any, uh, any parting thoughts? We only have about a minute left, and I don't think I'm going to jump into another question, but... No. Well, the only thought I have, and I know everybody here agrees, no matter what you're facing right now, no matter what temptation, no matter what hurt, cry out to Jesus. He wants to hear from you, and he's right there, and he will take care of you, but you've got to call on his name, mm-hmm. and you've got to say, come help me. And when you do, he will provide a way to get out yeah. or to deal with it. I think Craig Rochelle has a wonderful statement. If you're not dead, you're not done. God's not done with you yet. Mm-hmm. No matter what you've done, he will never give up. Nobody will take you out of the hand of God. He will not abandon you till the very day, the last day you have on earth. He will not abandon you. So the enemy wants you to be convinced he will, but God will not. Tom, how about a 30-second prayer for everyone who needs to hear from the Lord tonight? Sounds good. Lord Jesus, we all struggle. And I'm so thankful for these men in this program. But, Lord, we have a lot of brothers and sisters out there listening who themselves have issues. You know what those are. Give them to Jesus right now. See his outstretched hands. Lay that problem in his hands and know that he hears you, that he's going to deal with it, and that he loves you and he has a purpose for you. Trust in him alone. Amen. 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 Gentlemen, thank you. Thanks, Bill. It's been awfully Thanks, fun Bill. being Thanks, with Bill. you guys today. That's our show. Thank you for all the great questions. Keep them coming. I'll take them anytime you have them. Have a great night, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.